Analyze Asia is brought to you by Esavel. Do you manage your own IT for distributed teams across Asia Pacific? Then you know how painful that can be. Esavel helps your in-house team by taking cumbersome tasks off their hands and giving them the tools to manage IT effectively. Get help across Asia Pacific from onboarding, procuring devices to real-time IT support and offboarding. With our state-of-the-art platform, gain full control of all your IT infrastructure in one place. Our team of IT support pros are keen to help you grow. Check out esevel.com and get a demo today. Use our referral code ASIA for 10% off. Terms and conditions apply. Because of the pandemic, we all became patients. We all became aware of diagnostic tools, therapeutic interventions. The level of awareness that exists now around this specific topic is very high, but it also translates into us being more aware about why it's important to be preventative. A mask is preventative. Exercise in the post-pandemic world is preventative for heart conditions. And I think there's a much larger appetite now to start looking at how we can work together in partnership to identify those things that allow us to intervene early to, in order to prevent or to slow down any types of conditions that could happen to individuals, shift the narrative around how we approach healthcare in Asia. And I think this is absolutely necessary because of the challenges that we face, and it will be totally enabled by data and the technology. And so the tools for that exist, the biggest question really is how we start to implement them. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier podcast dedicated to dissecting the pulse of business technology and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leung, and the post-COVID-19 world is where the transformation of healthcare in Asia-Pacific will be instrumental before the next one. With me today, Ahmed El Husini, Area Head in Asia-Pacific, Roche Pharmaceuticals, to tell us how we need to transform healthcare in the Asia-Pacific. Ahmed, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bernard. I'm looking forward to a great conversation. And it's your first time on the show, so we will actually want you to dive into your origin story. How sure. do you start your career? Okay. Let me begin by saying I'm originally from, from Egypt, but I'm also Canadian and I lived in both countries. And I started my career after my PhD. I did a PhD in neuroscience. And up to that point, I was actually quite single-mindedly tracked thinking that I'm going to become a professor or a researcher. And then opportunities came across and I had an opportunity to transition into, the, into a biotech company to do clinical research. So I entered into the pharmaceutical industry and the biotech or healthcare industry through the research, clinical research regulatory path, and then transitioned to more on to the business side and having stints in business development, marketing, global marketing, sales, and then also did some global strategic work in the headquarters before moving on to my role here in, in Singapore in APAC as the area head. Mm. And of course, coming from an academic background, I think you and I share very interesting backgrounds as academics previously, yeah. and then you transition into going into business in the healthcare sector. I would like to know what are the most interesting career lessons which you can share with my audience? Well, that's a, obviously a great question and one that I think we could spend a lot of time on. I will say that um, looking back now and just appreciating it, looking at your career as a learning journey 
rather than I need to get here for that reason or this reason, really looking at it from a perspective of kind of what can I learn and what can I take out of this and and just kind of letting that be the driving force is probably, a, a, for me, a, a really important career advice or learning for me. The second thing I would say is, as you're doing that, two things are come out to me as very important as you're making the decisions. What's, what are you really passionate about? And can you make a difference? And as you're kind of making choices, again, the titles are important. All of these things are important. But are you really passionate about the work? And can you make a difference? Those are important questions to ask yourself as you're making career choices and taking on opportunities. So I, I would say those are the, the probably the two. I, I, again, there's probably a lot more, but let's stick with those two for now. Which comes to the main subject of the day, which I want to talk about Roche and also thinking about the how we can transform healthcare in the Asia-Pacific. So as an introduction, can you talk about the vision and mission of Roche globally, maybe specifically for the Roche Pharmaceuticals and what it is currently doing in the Asia-Pacific? I mean, many years ago, I was involved in the Human Genome Project as, like, as a research scientist, so I'm familiar with what Roche is doing, but maybe good to give my audience a little bit of background. Yeah, great. I'm happy to do that. I think one of the things I should just begin before I just start talking about the mission and vision, just to give a bit of a history. This is a 125-year-old company. It's a Swiss company, but it's truly a, a global company with a global footprint, including, of course, in Asia Pacific. Our mission is around doing now what patients need next. So our company is always thinking about the future, the future of healthcare and, and how we can help patients today, but more importantly, how can we can plan to help or help patients for the future as well. And so, uh, so a large part of what we do, and anyone who works in this industry knows this, a long-term development and making sure that we have an understanding of, of the networks and the areas and the stakeholders and the communities that we're, we're, we wanted to impact is really, really important. We are an innovation-driven company. Our motto is first in class, best in class. We want to be always on the cutting edge of science. In addition to being passionate about serving patients, we are also passionate about following the science. And on many occasions, this has meant that we don't necessarily, we change paths because the science changes. We follow it all the way until the end and use it as a tool to help and to, to lead us really to, to, uh, to better ter therapies for, for patients. We have a strong presence in Asia and Roche, broadly speaking, is, is also Roche Pharmaceuticals and Roche Diagnostics. And we have a, we have a strong presence in Asia and our presence ex ex extends from manufacturing to research and development and of course, commercialization and, and medical services to patients all over the region. And in addition to that, we also have a lot of our talent in our, our organization from Asia and many of them are in Asia, but many of them are also serving in other countries all around the world. So something that we're also very proud of is that we're truly an international company with many opportunities for people to transverse and, and be able to work across the world. So what is your current role and coverage in Roach Pharmaceuticals as the area head of Asia Pacific? So my, my current role is the Asia-Pacific region, and a large part of my role is to really work 
with the different ecosystems and work with our people in those environments to help enable access to our therapies to as many patients as possible. And we do this through many different means, whether it's in terms of education, in terms of awareness programs, in terms of working with governments, in terms of partnerships. The intent really is to be, we, th- we feel we have you know, incredibly life-saving products in, in many cases, but they're not saving lives if they're not if patients can't access them. So a large part of what we do is kind of work with whoever's interested, whoever are the key stakeholders to be able to enable that. And then once that happens, also ma- managing and maintaining the care of patients on those therapies. We look at this as more of a solution for patients than specific products because we really like to look at the entire patient journey and see how we can help patients at almost every single stage in terms of, of that journey in order to enable them to get the best possible outcome. So I think if we look back, we went through the global COVID-19 pandemic for the past two and a half years, and now we're in a post-pandemic world. I think the way I want to move our conversation forward is just to understand what were the key challenges for the healthcare industry during that period when the pandemic started till now? Yeah, the pandemic obviously was, was de- had a devastating effect. I don't think I need to tell anyone that. And it, it had a devastating effect on healthcare systems around the world. It was also a wake-up call. Uh, for healthcare systems with the huge gaps that exist and the inefficiencies that exist in, in our healthcare systems. COVID obviously put intense pressure on many of our services. And we saw that impact around Asia, we saw it around the world. And certainly, um, whether it's resources or people, it was, an, it, it was a very intense period and one where I think we we quickly realized the limitations of of the care pathways that we have. I should also say that in addition to the impact it had on on patients with COVID, it had also broader impact on the healthcare system as a whole. And this really impacted almost every care pathway that exists. So whether you're a diabetic or a cancer patient, these care pathways were completely disrupted as a result of COVID, creating huge backlogs of patients, many missed diagnoses, under-treatments or interrupted therapies. So it had obviously a very devastating impact and and really unfortunate for many people. I think it was also a good accelerator to put a lot of technologies at work and systems as well. One question I wanted to get a sense of is how were new systems and maybe innovative healthcare solutions are implemented such that they can address the needs of the patients during the COVID-19 pandemic? So I spent quite a bit of time sharing kind of the downside, but there was a flip side to this. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. This acute crisis really forced a change in the way we administer and manage many elements of care. And it did create major changes, even things like regulatory approval and the pathways by which products get reviewed. Those were absolutely accelerated because of COVID and showed us that it is possible to do that. But definitely the area where there was the biggest and most impactful change is on the digital revolution that occurred as a result of the pandemic. And really, this extends from most basic things, such as telehealth, which I think many of us experienced and we're probably still experiencing now, and opportunities for us to now to be able to, to receive care in our homes virtually. So this is something that really was, was maybe a pilot 
uh, before, but now has become much more widespread and, and, and exists today, to the utilization of uh, data pools to track and to trace the pandemic. So this is things that we had maybe experimented with before, but never really done at scale. And some of these tools took on a level of sophistication. If you lived in, in Malaysia or in Singapore, of course, you had the track and trace apps. But for example, in, in Korea, they were also using other data sources to be able to track the pandemic. So buying patterns, for example. It became very interesting how we could leverage data to be able to use it, to be able to drive impact in terms of patient care. So this revolution was certainly an acceleration of many pilots and examples and then a hotbed of innovation that occurred as a result of the pandemic. And that's the flip side of the pandemic and its impact on healthcare. And given the challenges that you mentioned during the pandemic and given that it's very, very difficult for any healthcare organization to do it alone, whether you're commercial or whether you're even a government healthcare subsidiary, how did Roche manage to work with partners in the ecosystems to overcome the issues? Because I think one of the key things that you mentioned earlier is that the, about like distribution, right? You, you may have the solution, but you still need to find a way to deliver it out to the actual people who need that healthcare service or that healthcare need. Again, the acuteness of this of the pandemic and the acute need for for solutions really drove a lot of partnerships. And and for Roche, this this was broad based, large partnerships. So, for example, Roche, of course, we had both therapies and diagnostic tools for that helped with with the the, the management of care of COVID. And we would form partnerships with many associations. One example, in order to make sure that that this care is applied as widely as possible, one example is a partnership we did with the WHO to allocate one of our products and to make sure that the allocation of this product is as fair and just as possible. But other things that we did were maybe even more community-based. So for example, in Thailand, we partnered with local associations there to really be able to provide COVID testing in remote areas using tuk-tuks. So we'd be able to provide the care closer to the, the people who need it. So there was a wide range of partnerships that came out of this and allowed us to really engage with many of the key players and stakeholders in the healthcare system in a way that we would have never thought to do so in the past before the pandemic. But it opens a path for the future in terms of collaborations as well. And this is what I think really excites me is even though there was a specific need that kind of drove it at the stage of the of the pandemic, there's no need to believe that that's a unique point in time. And, and there may be many other opportunities and there already are opportunities to build on these partnerships for a, a wider set of achievements beyond COVID. And, and that's what I think is really, really exciting. And I think... You alluded to the fact that it has actually allowed you to test bait and try to make certain implementation in a difficult environment. And of course, now we're in a post-pandemic era. I, I want to sort of reflect and look looking backwards a little bit. What are the interesting lessons that you have drawn from implementing these digital technologies accelerated out of the need of the pandemic. And then after that, mapping it back to now a very, very different world where everybody's returning to the office and maybe thinking about when the next crisis is going to strike, how are we going to use these technologies to be able to help us to tie over potentially the next healthcare crisis itself? 
there's obviously a lot of lessons that are translatable. And I would say that the translation doesn't need to wait until the next pandemic. We have other challenges in our healthcare system that we need to face. In the APAC region, the, the aging population is a slowly creeping pandemic or epidemic. And, and it comes with a whole series of issues and, and diseases such as Alzheimer's, for example, and cardiovascular diseases. We need to start today to start to tackle those challenges, and we should take the learnings that we have had from the pandemic and translate them to the future of those challenges. So I would say that that's a really important lesson that came out of this, is that it is possible that we should be open to these types of collaborations, because these challenges are too big to be dealt with alone. No one party can deal with it alone. Different or parts of the organization brings different skill sets. The challenge with these types of partnerships is part of this is the alignment. And I think it's very important to have clear alignment in terms of what outcomes need to be achieved. And the other challenge with them is that a large time, these challenges tend to be long-term challenges and they do require significant long-term commitment from the different parties. But this is something that's maybe with COVID, with the acute need of COVID, we didn't have to deal with. But when you deal with something like an aging population and, and the upcoming potential for the all the types of diseases that come with it, we really need to be able to have much more long-term plans, similar approaches, but much more long-term plans and much more long-term partnerships that allow us to really take stepwise approaches in dealing with those in the appropriate way. We've talked a lot about the ways we think about how to implement technologies into the healthcare system, given the challenges that came from the pre-then pandemic and now post-pandemic. I, I want to sort of get into, really dive into the weeds. Can you share examples or case studies of the digital technologies that were implemented for the COVID-19 pandemic and now being even repurposed for uh, other users as well? Yes, there's obviously teleconsultation, telemedicines approaches. That was clearly something that came out and got used everywhere in the pandemic. Those technologies are now be, being repurposed for things like telementoring and, and building skills and capabilities for healthcare professionals around Asia. So using the same type of technologies that we were used for, for example, for consultation, um, using that to help build capacity and capability. Another example, and I talked about the the, the tracing apps, the, for example, the, the track and trace app in Malaysia, which is called MySajharta app. It was initially, of course, developed to be able to, to track, but now is being repurposed to be able to record health records of individuals within the country, including vaccination records and also blood glucose levels, which of course then can have potential implications for management of diabetes care. So there's examples of these technologies that initially were built for one thing, but then of course, now that we have them, why not use them more broadly or for something else that is a, a challenge for today. And, and and that's also also very exciting when, when we're able to do that, because that's how innovation occurs and how we're able to make these big differences on many of these challenges that we face today. Given the lessons learned from the pandemic, we're now shifting to a post-pandemic world. I guess what is the rethinking that we need for the healthcare system in the Asia-Pacific region? I think part of the lesson that I think I gather from our conversation is that there's a lot of data collection and there is a better coordination of healthcare needs and delivery of healthcare. 
So going from there, what is the rethinking that we need? <laughs> One of the, the things that's come out of the pandemic is having to uh, really re-examine the, the future of healthcare within Asia Pacific, and particularly with the lens of how we can today install the right components that allow us to lead into a personalized future, personalized healthcare future, and one that allows us to, to, to approach preventative care. Because of the pandemic, we all became patients. We all became aware of diagnostic tools, therapeutic interventions. The level of awareness that exists now around this specific topic is very high, but it's also translatable. And it also translates into us being more aware about why it's important to be preventative. The mask is preventative. Exercise in the post-pandemic world is preventative for heart conditions. So these things are truly translatable. And I think there's a much larger appetite now to start looking at how we can work together in partnership to identify those things that allow us to intervene now and to intervene early to, in order to prevent or to slow down any types of conditions that could happen to individuals and therefore really shift the narrative around how we approach healthcare in Asia. And I think this is absolutely necessary because of the challenges that we face. And it will be totally enabled by data and technology. So the tools for that exist. The biggest question really is how we start to implement them. And, and this is, I think, the, the, the part where partnership is very important. Long-term planning and strategizing is very important. But it really is around how we can install these tools and, 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 and be able to leverage them to be able to create the kind of environment that allows us to move to a world where preventative care is the norm, that patients or people actually have personalized healthcare plans that allow them to take steps today to prevent future or offset future conditions or future situations where they wouldn't want to be in. So this is really the, the, the vision. And I think one of the important learnings that we got as a result of, of the pandemic. I want to double click a little bit here. Can you define how data and personalized healthcare can be enabled for the Asia Pacific region to enable the better delivery of the healthcare service itself to the patients? When we talk about personalized healthcare, we're really talking about this idea that we approach each individual based on their characteristics, whether it's genomic or, or gender, age, all these things. And we take all of those things into consideration in the administration of their therapies or their treatments or any elements of their healthcare management. And the idea here is that you really are very strategic in terms of your approaches so that basically you apply the, the, the care that's absolutely needed and the right one at the right time for the individual. Why that's great, it allows you, of course, to get the highest chance of success, and it also prevents you from getting misdiagnosed or mistreated. So in the past, if you or I were to get sick, we might, we, even today, if we go sick, most likely we'd be given a, a regimen that is identical. You take a pill in the morning, you take a pill in the evening, you take it for the seven days. In the future, based on your genetic profile, based on your background, your healthcare, you would get something different based on that than I would. And it'd be personalized and give me the highest chance of success. Now, why this is really exciting, of course, it helps with, with definitely driving better patient outcomes. It reduces waste. 
But the part that's really exciting is that it can be done at scale through data. And this is where it becomes really interesting is that what if if we're able to aggregate all of this data and use it strategically, we would be able to administer this type of care in a way that would allow us to have much more efficient and effective um, healthcare system at a lower cost, uh, which I think is very important for 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 everyone involved. So I think this is a this is definitely a path that we can take that will allow us to overcome you know, some of the challenges I talked earlier about in, in Asia. It's a path that will allow us to really overcome these challenges and be very strategic about it. And it's an incredibly powerful concept. Its implementation is really the challenge. Then how do we measure the effectiveness of personalized healthcare then? Personalized healthcare brings together medical science, digital technology, and data science. And it really, as I said earlier, puts the patient at the center and enables the treatment and the care to be tailored to the individual and create unprecedented opportunities for patients. As we shift from these kind of one-size-fits-all approaches to really providing the best possible care for each individual patients, we would be able to measure that by seeing improved both the quantity and the quality of the life of the patients. We reduce the impact of disability and ill health on individuals and their families. And importantly, and I talked about this earlier, we bring in efficiencies into the healthcare system, which then allow us to advance better healthcare. So this is how we would be able to to measure it. And as a result, we could see people staying shorter periods in hospitals. So hospitalization rates would go down. And obviously, this would also reduce the overall burden of care for patients. I only have one final question. What does GRIT look like for Roach Pharmaceuticals in Asia Pacific for the next few years? So at, at the heart of what we do, obviously, we, we want to do what's best for patients. And despite incredible advances that have happened, there's still a huge un, unmet need in terms of the provision of care all across Asia. So rapid, broad, and sustainable access to um, all kinds of therapies and healthcare solutions is really um, what great looks like uh, to me. And it's really what I'm very much uh, committed to in my role in APAC. I see that there's incredible potential in this region. And I see that at the same time, there's also a huge need. And I think it's all our role to do what we can to make that difference. So if you're asking me, that's what I would love to see. Mm. And Ahmed, many thanks for coming on the show. And I would thank you and the many other healthcare providers, whether it's governmental, commercial, who have actually been contributing towards all of our well-being during this uh, COVID-19 pandemic and moving beyond. And I look forward to speak to you again in the future relating to how healthcare is going to be transformed in the Asia Pacific. But in closing, I have two very quick questions to ask. Any recommendations that have inspired you recently? Ah. So I'm actually reading a book called In the Dragon's Shadow, which actually is, is very topical for, for the region I'm in right now. And it talks about uh, the interplay between China and the Asia Pacific region. Uh, so I, I found that book very insightful and, and inspiring in some ways and interesting. And it's also helped me put in context some of the things that I see on a daily basis. So I, I would recommend that to anyone who's moving into, into the region. Mm, I'm going to get my Amazon uh, .sg and click on the get a book. How do my audience find you? I suppose the easiest way is you can reach me on LinkedIn. I do often post and share my thoughts on trends and ideas that I've had. And yeah, that would probably be the best way. Mm. 
And you can totally find us in any podcast platforms and of course, subscribe to us on Analyze Asia A-N-A-L-Y-S-E on Twitter or give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast platforms that you are on, whether it's Spotify, CastBox, etc. I mean, once again, many thanks for coming on the show and thank you for helping me to understand a little bit on how healthcare is being transformed across the region and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you so much. 